This is Sarah Tebow, and I am the host of the SideWoo Podcast. Join me for conversations about mental health and metaphysical issues from the lens of living a more creative, fulfilling, and connected life. From the physical to the metaphysical and beyond, welcome to the SideWoo. Hi, Sidewooers. Welcome to the latest episode. It is the end of November, and oh my God, what a ride this has been. Has it been busy for you? Because it has been quite busy for me, which I think that's kind of normal, but because the holidays happen once a year, you always kind of forget. But anyway, here we are. So I would like to do a little self-promo at the top of the episode. The first is that I have started a new meetup group called Art Date Social Club, inspired by the name of my substack, which is Art Date. And among other things, I will be hosting a live and in-person plein air painting workshop type group meetup in Glendale at a local park there with really beautiful views and a nice flat picnic area. So for those of you who knew that I was doing a workshop last weekend, it'll be kind of a similar vibe, but instead of having to do like an hour hike in, hour hike out, you can just walk from your car like five minutes, not even, and set up your painting stuff. So it'll be $10 for people who just want to show up and with their own stuff. You know, you've got a canvas, you've got some art supplies and just want help with instruction or whatever. And then if you want me to bring all the equipment for you, like canvas and paint, a palette, water, towels, I will not bring easels, but it will be $25 for that. And you'll just need a little picnic blanket. Either way, snacks will be included and I'll be doing a little tutorial, but also really encouraging people to kind of just go their own way because I think that's the really cool part is you can show everyone the same thing and everyone's going to do something different. So anyway, uh, that will be starting this Saturday from 10 to 12 in the morning. And we'll keep going except for the holiday weekend of the, I want to say the 23rd and then the following weekend, which is right around the 31st. So those two dates are off, but it'll pick back up in the new year. There will also be more in-person and online events as I get this group started as well as um, my online community. And I'm thinking about creating a WhatsApp group for that. But if you aren't going to sign up for that, or even if you are the meetup group, which is just meetup.com is a good way to keep track of all the events. I figure it's a nice alternative to Facebook events. Like if anyone is old enough to remember when we all use those, but go to Art Date Social Club and I will be updating everyone when I have more information. The other exciting thing that is happening soon is I have some artwork going to Miami with the Pitt Gallery here in LA, and they are taking it to NADA, which is a pretty cool fair. Um, I remember seeing the fair in Miami for the first time in 2005, and it just, the fact that I'm now in this fair You know, especially after that first year that I went, I was with a few artists who, you know, they were really awesome. I won't pull their names too much into it, but basically they were from Miami originally. And one of them had a benefactor who rented out a space 
in Wynwood, and it was an old office space, which literally still had all the office equipment in it. <laughs> so we spent like a week before the fair opened, gutting the space, cleaning it, and then we had to like figure out where to put all the work. And I was staying with my boyfriend and living in, you know, his parents' living room for that two weeks. And it was just really crazy, but it was really exciting. And, you know, I sold my first painting there, which was kind of amazing. So that brings us to our guest for the week, Amir Hamawi. And I've actually known Amir for over 10 years at this point. And he happens to be married to former SideWoo guest and also friend, Rachel Dawson, who I interviewed back a couple months ago and who I've known since we went to graduate school together at CCA. Tamir is a person in recovery that has created a new deck called Weldim. And it's like an Oracle deck that you use for your recovery journey. It was really cool to do this interview and get to hear about his recovery in a way that maybe we wouldn't talk about if we were just like sitting over dinner. He talks pretty candidly about the process of going through first 12 step and then smart recovery and just what worked for him and what didn't. And then we kind of delve into the premise of his deck, which is so thoroughly researched and really cool and also available for purchase now. He talks a lot about that. And then kind of to wrap things up, we talk about his kite surfing, which he's been doing for as long as he's been a Californian. And it's really amazing and impressive. And I feel like very inspiring for anyone who's ever seen those kite borders out by the Golden Gate Bridge and thought like, oh my God, yeah. I want to do that too. Um, so anyway, yeah, I hope you enjoy and thank you so much for listening as usual. I will um, put a bunch of links in the show notes so you can check out Amir's deck. Um, I also would love to hear from you if you have thoughts about the episode. You can email me at thesidewoo at gmail.com. You can also send me your questions for tarot. I am still interviewing artists for tarot every week. Follow, rate, subscribe, review all the things on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And yeah, feel free to share episodes. You know, we just got our yearly review. And in the last year, we've had 90% of our followers be new. So I don't know if I said that right, but basically that's what they told me is that 90% of our followers have learned about the SideWoo this year, which is amazing. And last month we had more lessons than we had for like the first, you know, nine months to a year of the show. So I'm just like blown away and so excited for 2024. I think it's going to be really amazing. I know I say this every episode, so I'm going to let you go and I hope you enjoy. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. For listeners, this is Amir Hamwi. How do you see your last name? <laughs> yeah, Amir Hamawi. Hamawi. I should know that. I've been friends with you and Rachel for about like 10 years now. So, Yeah, it has been a, a good amount of time since she went to graduate school. Yeah, but Amir is Rachel Dawson's husband, and she's been on the show 
And he is now on the show to talk about a new deck that he's created called Weldom Journey. So we're definitely going to talk about that. I just want to start with our usual question. What sign are you? Oh, yeah. So my <laughs> sign is my sign is Capricorn. Oh, um, interesting. Well, that makes sense why you'd want to go right into product <laughs> explanation. Sure. Are, are you into astrology at all? I wouldn't really say so. I mean, it's not something that I, w- I was somewhat exposed to it. I think my mother exposed me to it a little bit. And I've always been interested in it on the peripheral, but it's not something that I'm super into, to say the least. But it's something that I- Because you grew up in like Malibu, right? Yeah, I grew up in Southern California and you know had a connection to the few stars that we see above us down in Los Angeles, which is uh, few and far between. But yeah, I had some some exposure to it. You and Rachel have been your like high school sweethearts. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is, like, because she's really into ghosts and stuff. So, you know, as you are now going on your own spiritual journey, how have you seen all that stuff? What was your reaction when she first started getting into it? And then what's your journey been like with the woo-woo world? Yeah, so, you know, my wife has been to, I mean, we met when we were 15, so quite some time ago. And when we first started dating, she was very interested in the paranormal for sure, but also people who were not the best serial killers and those kinds of things, right. uh, which she went through a phase of that as well. My exposure to that has always been minimal, I would say, but my mm. wife has always been very excited about it. And I think she, her in, in excitement about it is something that I enjoy living vicariously through her. So she really wants to go to certain places and tell me certain stories. And I just really love hearing about it. You um, do. That's good. Because yeah. Every story is like a ghost story with Rachel. <laughs> exactly. Which I, love. <laughs> I think the way that she tends to tell the stories is there's something deeper to each one of them and you don't take it everything at face value. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the ones that are more about her personal experience or whether we go somewhere to experience something to think outside of the box. As I'm telling this, <laughs> I'm reminded we also went to Egypt quite some time ago, it was in 2000. And we went to a mausoleum of my probably great great grandmother or something like that. And when we were there, there was definitely a sense of um, something beyond, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it, but we could not take a photograph inside the mausoleum. It really? just wouldn't work. It just would not work. Yeah, what? it was it was really strange. Like we took pictures outside, and then we went inside. She tried to take a picture, and the camera just wouldn't work. And then oh, we went outside, so and then it would work. <laughs> we're like, okay, well, I guess we can't take pictures in there. Oh, oh, so, wow. you know, it's interesting to see how there's definitely something beyond our, like what our senses can take in. And from time to time, there's definitely some crossover there. And I don't really try to explain it all. I just take it at face value and be like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. I, I don't have the senses to really explain it all, but I do recognize that there's something more there. Yeah. And I mean, like just thinking about your deck, it, cause it is so multifaceted, like we're going to get into it, but you know, there's so many disciplines and like lines of study. Yeah, I guess disciplines is the best word for it. That like metaphysical and wellness disciplines that you tap into to create it. Mm-hmm. So I was just curious if creating the deck has made you more interested for yourself in in discovering different ways of connecting to the world beyond the veil or <laughs> yeah, I would say I would say absolutely it has. Um, without getting too much into the deck in detail, you know, it covers the different wellness dimensions. But one of those is the spiritual dimension. 
And that can mean a lot of different things depending on who you're talking to. Um, the way that I created that that section of the cards, there's you know nine cards that go with it, um, was really exploring you know, what people have thought of spirituality in this world. So a little bit was like me researching certain things that have come up through various cultures, whether it be uh, Native American or, you know, science, uh, which is definitely, you know, kind of a cross-section yeah, of spirituality. That. I was just looking um, at that section. You have like <clears throat> chakras and tarot and gemstones and then science, which, you know, if you think about it, like there for a long time, science was really like, explaining the metaphysical and then i think it still is now like if you get into quantum you know various quantum disciplines like it's basically like actually we don't know anything yeah exactly yeah so the purpose of the deck to for you know the broad spectrum is to recognize that there's certain areas that i needed to focus on more or that people who are going through recovery or just you know deeper self-exploration need to check out right and so on the spiritual side, there's several in there that, you know, I put in to think like, oh, I need to focus on that at some point. Some of them were things that I had given attention to before I started active recovery. Mm -hmm. And some maybe were, you know, underdeveloped or not really looking at it too much. And, and others, I just gained a deeper um, experience with. Like one that really comes to mind is uh, the power animal is one that I put in there or spirit animal, depending on, you know, how you want to frame it. But really, the way that I looked at it is a deeper connection to the animals that surround us. And for me, I've always had a draw towards dolphins oh, for, one, for, for one reason or another. And yeah, why do you think that is? It makes sense knowing you, but I wonder if you have... Well, I, I mean, I grew up in, in Southern California, and I was a junior lifeguard, so I spent a lot of time at the beach. So I saw dolphins growing up, for sure, which was which was really great. And they're, all, they're these like majestic creatures that you... They, they they choose to reveal themselves to you. It's the way that mm -hmm. I see it. And, you know, I think my the most amazing experience I had when I was a teenager, we were sailing in the Santa Monica Bay. And at one point, 500 plus dolphins came swimming next to the boat and they were all jumping like insane. And it, it probably lasted 15 minutes or so. Whoa. But it was an incredible experience just to be completely surrounded by dolphins, as far as I can see, because they were around us. Like they That's were like towards the horizon. Yeah. It was, what? It was, like, where did they all even come from that they had so many in that pack? Because they couldn't go anywhere and not be noticed, you know, with that many. Yeah. I mean, they do travel in schools in the Santa Monica Bay. This one was definitely larger. So if you, if you ever take a trip to, um, well, because I, I went out to the Farallon Islands and we had a pack like come mm -hmm. and, and I was a little scared. I felt like they were like checking us out. You know, there was maybe like 20, 20, 25. And so definitely not as many, but no, it was definitely the, the largest I'd ever seen. You know, I've never and even heard of that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was quite remarkable. I mean, that the, the next largest I've seen is when we went out to the islands off the coast of Oxnard and blanking on the name right now. But those islands, if you take the trip out there, you'll definitely see them. There's like no doubt, mm -hmm. but not as many as I saw that day. Okay. But, you know, so dolphins were always there. I went, I, I had to go to rehab at one point down in Southern California to really, you know, hone in on some deeper work to, to, to put it lightly. Yeah. But as while I was there, I went swimming in the ocean every day. The, the place that I went allowed for that. And there, there was one day that, and the water was cold. I mean, this is so, so cold, and I think it was winter. Or, no, it was summer, but it was still cold. A dolphin swam right up to me. 
and it, I was, it, it was just incredible. Like to the point where I could hear it breathing. Wow. Um, it spooked me for sure, but I still felt calm. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's a weird mix of emotions that came in. And, and it was that day in particular where I recognized that, you know, this species I had a connection to, um, yeah. and, uh, it, it stuck there. And, um, you know, that day I actually, you know, went and wrote about it in a journal that day and actually did a, a, a drawing of it as well to bring out my creative side while I was doing things to make myself better. But that's when I realized that, you know, dolphin's definitely one that, that hits home. And, and since then- And what then, does it represent to you? Like, how do you connect with it so that it makes sense for your life? Well, I think the biggest one for me is, is probably just an appreciation of water. Like I've always been yeah. a water person. Swam growing up as a kid, did springboard diving in high school and college. And then these days I, I kite surf quite regularly. So I'm constantly yeah. like on the water. So for me, it represents, you know, an animal that's somewhere that I, I can't go like they go. Mm. So in some ways it's a, a little bit mysterious. They are a mammal. We're mammals. I think there's a connection there. They're also highly intelligent. So there's just, there's quite a few things, but I think I just really, you know, maybe I'm a little jealous of the fact that they get, totally. they get to do what they get to do and live very, very freely, right? There's, when you think about the ocean, there seems to be, you know, you're, you're here, I think we're moving in two, to, two or three dimensions mostly, but they seem they can go anywhere they want thing in a different, in a different sense. Yeah. There's definitely a certain like body freedom that they have, just like the way that you swim underwater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the speed, which I feel like connects to definitely your windsurfing. Like you're trying to get there with that like flowing motion, but we can talk about that yeah. in a bit. But I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about your recovery journey. You know, we talked with Rachel. I talked with Rachel and she said that you had tried like a 12-step AA style program and didn't really like it. And you ended up doing SMART. Yeah, that's that's part of it. You know, my my recovery journey is is long, <laughs> to say the least. I definitely abused alcohol for for quite some time there and came to a realization that I needed to do something about it. When when I think part of this is when you think like I, I think one of the questions you asked me to think about was when when did my recovery start? I tend to think about it in terms of how things how people make change. And when I was in this, there's these stages of change that anyone goes through to when you learn anything, like riding a bike or walking or whatever yeah. it may be. And so they, they typically go through this pre-contemplation phase where, where you're not thinking about that you have a problem. And then a contemplation phase where you're like, maybe I do, maybe I don't, maybe I do, maybe I don't. And it's, it's that phase that tends to take some time. For some people, it could take literally a decade. Um, other mm. people may, may, may go much faster. Um, but it was while I was in that contemplation phase, moving on to um, preparing where I started exploring different programs. And um, I'll, I'll pause here to say that if if there's anyone out there, you know, suffering from addiction, you know, there is tons of resources out there to help you. And I highly encourage, you know, to recognize that, you know, we're all humans and we have tough lives. And if you're suffering, that you, you can make change. So just just be aware of that. Um, Thank you for saying that. Yeah. But while I was going through, you know, well, I'll say being highly encouraged to go check out things by many people, because on the outside, I was definitely making a lot of, um, you know, harmful, harmful behaviors. 
But I, I checked out 12 step, you know, AA is, is uh, ubiquitous. It's out there. There's a lot of really good resources in that program too. Um, but I also started to explore other ones um, just because I was like, I'm going to try everything. Thing. Yeah. And Smart Recovery is one program that really resonated with me because they they take on a more um, scientific approach, mm-hmm. specifically focused on cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which the way that I view is like the way that we think influences the way that we behave. So if we're behaving poorly or you want to change your behavior, you, you just need to change the way you think. And, you know, that really resonated to me because one thing I disliked or disagreed with personally was that I really didn't think I had a disease like that, mm. that, that I, I had, a, I had a lot of issues with just the fact the that disease model. The, the disease model mm, yeah. and there's a lot to be said there, but mostly, you know, I found smart to be very useful and, and other programs too. I did go to other meetings and 12 step and here and there, but. I did find that, you know, smart recovery tend to help uh, me the most, but it wasn't limited to that. It was all the resources that I had at my disposal. Yeah. And that including makes sense. friends and family and my partner, of course, all, all contributed to getting on the right path. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit like what, I, I guess it's hard because, you know, the 12 step programs don't want anyone to be a spokesperson, but just without you being that, could you explain like the disease model a little bit more? Like, how is it that that is supposed to help? Like, what is the benefit of seeing like addiction as a disease versus like, I don't know what else you would just like personal defect or something. Yeah. So there's, there's some historical context here and I'm going to muddy the details, but like when you looked at addiction going way back, it started out as like a moral failing. Like back in, you know, before the disease models, like, oh, they don't have morals. They're, you know, an immoral person. They just can't live a a good life. When the medical industry came about, they started looking at, you know, certain afflictions in certain ways. And that's when addiction started to look more like a disease. Like, oh, this is a disease. This is the treatment. And it was very much like you put that label on somebody. It's like, okay, here's something you can fix. that disease model, you know, was very helpful. I mean, many, many, many people got sober through recognizing it as a disease. I have this problem. I need to treat it. And the, the treatment is, you know, varying, but, you know, AA was pretty much the main main treatment there, which in, on a very basic level is community, but also, you know, they do have 12-step that takes you through a process of um, exploration and, and reflection. And of course, they talk a lot about religious stuff, but the, the, the current medical, they, they don't subscribe to that. You, you'd have a very hard time finding the disease model in current the medical industry. They still encourage AA, but you know technically it's a disorder, right? So if you think about like cancer, it's this thing that's like attacking you. You know, right. ad- ad- addiction isn't like actively attacking you. It's like right? an internal pr- process, which, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess I like that it's a disease so that the medical like tools will be, or so that basically insurance can kick in because otherwise, like, how are you going to like justify insurance if you're one of those companies, but did smart get covered or how, how was that process like? Well, well, all of those programs are free, right? So AA is free. Smart is free. You know, you don't have to pay for it. You just, there's meetings all over the place. There's, there's additional programs too. Life Ring, Dharma Recovery, which takes on a more Buddhist 
slant. It's also called like refuge recovery. There's a few different versions of it. All, all these resources are free and widely available for anyone who's willing to sh- literally show up and, and listen. And as far as like medical treatment, you know, then you're entering into getting a psychologist or a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I mean, honestly, like, I feel like everyone would benefit from regardless of what you're dealing with. But. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk therapy is super valuable. There, there's also medications that you can take to help assist with mm-hmm. addiction and recovery. And, you know, depending on your physiology, they may or may not work one yeah. way or the other. But to back on the disease model, though, whenever that comes up, I always think of one thing, which is people either think of it as a disease or it's a disease of thinking. So it's like, it doesn't really matter if you, what you think really, it's more like, Hey, this is a problem that needs to be addressed. And there's various, there's various ways to address it. But I I certainly don't see myself as someone who has a disease. Yeah. I mean, and then like for you, as you, so I've been testing out the waters with a couple of like 12 step groups and I've done like therapy and all kinds of stuff. So I'm just curious to see like what those modalities are like. And what I've learned about is the onion thing where like you peel back one layer and one issue, other things that present themselves. So was there anything that you found like really surprised you as you were getting control of one area? Was there something that came up without maybe going into detail just that you found was like, oh, this is actually what I have to tackle or Maybe yeah, so, what you're saying about thought patterns or... So there, there's several, I would consider them like maybe milestones that, that people make. And I, I should also mention that I, I'm still actively involved in the Smart Recovery Program. I facilitate meetings um, once oh, cool. a week for 90 minutes. Um, and those meetings are you know very helpful for me, but also the people who join. So I, I see, you know, I've, I have my own recovery that I've gone through, but I also witness others, right? And there's a few key milestones here that come up. The, the first one that really lands with people is that I'm not alone, right? Like, oh, other people have this problem too. Mm. And that one, I don't want to treat it too lightly, but it's, it's really transformational when you recognize that you're not alone. And any program can make you realize that. Mine, mine was, I was first exposed to AA and I went, I was like, oh, wow, these are people who are having the same issue I am. And it's not something that I need to internalize or think that I'm unique in it, mm. that, that there's other people there. That's a hard one. You know, people can be, like I mentioned, this, this contemplation phase for a long time. People may not recognize that they're going through a similar experience as other people. That's the main one. The other major steps I would say are, well, there's many <laughs> to say the least. There are at least but 12. <laughs> there are, yeah. I mean, there's, there's those 12 steps uh, for sure. I actually don't know them all by heart. I think there's probably five of the 12 that I kind of resonate with. The rest yeah. are very similar or overlapping. But, you know, another key point is recognizing that you have the power to choose and that can mean a couple different things. You know, the the twelve step they tend to say you're powerless, right, over this disease. And in some ways, thinking that way can be helpful because you're disassociating the problem from yourself. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, with any sort of addiction, you're you're choosing to do it. It doesn't feel like you're choosing to do it yeah. by no means. It feels like it's compulsive and you don't have control over it. But at a certain point, you recognize that there there is a choice in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure out 
even if when, it's subconscious, right? Like that's been the biggest challenge. Yeah. So I've with 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 addiction with addiction in general, like there's typically a trigger and then there's an action, right? So something in the outside world makes you want to act out in a certain behavior. And this isn't limited to, you know, necessarily drugs or alcohol. It could be any any behavior that could be yeah. harmful. So there's something in the outside world that would trigger you and then you act out, right? And when you're addicted, those two things may seem very, very close to each other. Like literally, like if you take your two hands and you're touching your fingertips, it's like the the trigger and the action, there's no space between them. Mm. Oh, I the, love that. Yeah, process, that's a good way yeah. of explaining it. Yeah, the process of recovery is recognizing that between those two steps, a lot of things are happening mm. in your in your brain, in your head, in the environment. And the process of recovery is is separating those two the 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 trigger and the behavior and the action, creating space in between it, and then recognizing yeah. what's going on within that space. That's amazing. I mean, even just thinking about like going home for the holidays or something. And you think about your parents and your bad, ba- you know, like acting like a teenager around your parents. You're like, yep. well, but like they did this thing. And so, of course, I was going to react that way. And realizing as you get older, like, oh, there is all these reasons why I don't want to act d- differently, partly because I'm afraid of the dynamic changing or losing them or they're mm-hmm. going to get mad at me in a different way. And, you know, it's like once you start to go there, that separation of like two unique individuals. I I don't know. That's something I've dealt with in therapy. You know, if my mom's listening, sorry. (laughs) But yeah, that's so interesting. I love that. Was that an analogy you came up with or do they talk about that? Uh, That was one of my psychologists who used that analogy with me. It made a lot of sense to be like, no, it's just highly coupled. You're you're still thinking it's it's in there, but you just don't recognize it. And, And this is, I think for outsiders, people who, when I say outsiders, those who are not going uh, who are not actively, you know, addicted, that, you know, your friends and your family from the outside perspective, it, it may look like there is no choice involved, that it's compulsory, that it is a disease, that you don't mm-hmm. have control over it um, because it's so, it, it, you know, repetitive and, and it never takes a break. But uh, it, with every single time anyone acts out in a certain way, there is a thought process behind it, you know, that is happening. And again, probably like deeply subconscious and buried in trauma. It could be, it could be a variety of things. Yeah. I mean, Mm. it could be, there are many reasons why people um, may get addicted. You know, like trauma is one that you mentioned. It could could be an experience that someone went through. It could be current life experiences. It could be deeply buried things. And those are the ones that are really challenging. Like I've met, I've, I've listened to stories of people who were in their seventies and eighties and um, going through recovery uh-huh. and, and, and unburying things that happened to them when they were under 10 years old. And so you're oh. thinking like, oh my God, this person went through what, 60 years of their life without thinking about this thing that happened to them right. and only unearthing it, you know, after a, a full life experience. It's, it's pretty incredible to see people like that willing to explore it and undergo that change before they ultimately move on. Yeah. And so thinking about your deck in terms of addressing such a multifaceted thing as recovery, how did you begin to create it? Yeah. So this, the the deck started, the idea actually came about, you know, very, very shortly after I went to rehab in okay. 2020, June of, June of 2020. 
And one of the things that I was advised to do, not just me, but you know, everyone who was in that program, was to take on a project that you can do for about a year, okay. a long-term project that you can focus on. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be recovery related, um, but of course it is, right? So uh, there was one guy who, who actually told the story. He wanted to learn how to fly an airplane. Oh, and wow. so he's like, oh, if I learn how to fly airplanes, then I can't use because I can't <laughs> go, you know, be you drunk and fly be. airplanes. <laughs> so I, I started to think about that. And when I, I was like, okay, but I need a, a long-term project. And you weren't going to fly a plane. And I wasn't going to fly a plane. I, I did realize the power of what I would call just doing something every day. Mm. I think having a daily focus was very, very important. So I tied together, you know, long-term project with doing something every day and then doing an assessment of where I'm at. So it's like, all right, I got to be a better person. I got to live well. You know, there's plenty of resources out there that I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Let me go do some research here on, you know, what it means to live well. And I was like, okay, well, let me just take all the things with what it means to live well, break it all down into a series uh, of uh, things that I need to explore because it wasn't quite a deck at that point um, and then uh, create it and then just go live it, right? And so I think I, I narrowed in pretty quickly that it was going to be cards. Um, tarot cards resonated with me. That's what they ultimately, the size that they ended up being and the actual cards themselves, the series and, and what it became to be that, that evolved through the creative process, right? So what they yeah. are today, which is a you know full product that's printed professionally that someone can go buy on the internet, it took a long time in the making. But I experienced the deck itself, which is a, a journey through the wellness dimensions, broken down into a hundred actions that are done by just picking a card and, and reflecting on it and acting on it. I've gone through it myself three times. And this next time I go through it, I'm hoping to do it with other people. Because yeah, I cool. recognize that the community is, is a big part of the personal growth, right? Personal yeah. growth comes through others, typically. Yeah. Well, and I pulled one for today and I got transcendence, which is in part of the self. Like, it's almost like you have like the pie chart of the different aspects of being human. And so one of them is the self, which maybe you can talk a little bit about how you categorized them or yeah absolutely like emotion environment so if you where, where i kind of did research on was like i stumbled on the dimensions of wellness at one point and if you look these up you're you're going to find different variations of it whether there's seven or eight or six and where they came from i, I really like this idea of breaking it down into core uh, elements that you need to focus on so there's eight eight wellness dimensions. They are life, body, emotion, environment, spirit, mind, and social. And these eight form the the eight core dimensions. But I also re did research into you know the hierarchy of needs. Oh, okay. And and the hierarchy of needs is like you know what what do you need to be alive? Uh, body. You know, <laughs> yeah. body. Your your body. These are mouth office, the hierarchy of needs. And then at the top of that pyramid, depending on where you do the research, transcendence actually sits at the top. Oh, right? well, hey, we're right so, yeah. at the top right now. So, so you, you pick <laughs> podcast like, right I, at the top. <laughs> I wanted to talk briefly about Maslow's hierarchy of needs in case you are not familiar. It was created as a concept in 1943 and proposed as the pyramid of driving forces that motivate human decisions 
And the way that he listed it was where the most important essential things for survival are at the bottom of the pyramid. And then it gets less and less essential to human survival at the top. And so you have at the bottom physical needs like air, food, drink, shelter, clothing, warmth, sex, and sleep. And I was like, excuse me, sex? Really? I've gone a long time without that. And I, (laughs) you know, I'm fine. But I think what he means is like in order to move the species forward, you have to reproduce. So anyway, it keeps going up. And at the top, it's things like emotional connection, belonging, and then you go to transcendence, which Amir and I talk about in the episode. It's interesting because the article that I found, it's a trade publication for the psychology field. They spoke not so highly of the pyramid. They said that while it's a very catchy idea, unfortunately, it's not well-respected within the field of psychology. They offer an alternative pyramid structure with a, quote, contemporary design feature, which I will post a link to this article in the show notes, but essentially it's a pyramid that's shaped like a series of post-it notes where each one is inside the bigger one. So you have the physical needs and then there's a slightly smaller pyramid that's like safety and then a slightly smaller one and it keeps going. Um, And one of the interesting things is all of the pyramids have access to the top layer, meaning that when you're at the top, it's kind of this like all-inclusive state. But then the other interesting thing is it feels a little bit more relational. So at the very top, instead of self-actualization, it is parenting which I think is really fascinating. And then it goes down mate retention, mate acquisition, status, esteem, affiliation. I assume that means relating to groups and then self-protection and then immediate physiological needs. So that's quite a different model and, you know, would be potentially good to have someone on about that. But anyway, worth thinking about. Back to the episode. Transcendence is a, is a, it's quite a topic to, to discuss in, in great detail. And I would say most people don't really think about what it even means to transcend beyond yourself. But the self category is the intersection of the eight core dimensions. And when I was looking at the self category, this is not part of any, like the way that you look at the dimensions of wellness. I was like, no, self is super important. You know, what are all the things about self you need to pay attention to? And they cover self-acceptance, self-trust, you know, self-awareness, self-perception. Perception is a big one, I think, for, for people going through recovery, how you perceive yourself, how other people perceive you, actualization, and then, of course, uh, transcendence. Uh, the thing to mention about transcendence, it's when you look at the pyramid of this, it's always, oh, that's at the top. But I, I don't actually view it that way. It's, you know, you move throughout these throughout your life and you may have a, a moment of transcendence as opposed to you achieve transcendence, right? Yeah, it's hard and, to sustain, I think, with any really high level emotion or energy frequency. Like it's really hard. I think we're here because we can't sustain it. You know, I was just reading a book actually this morning that I picked up from the library and it's about this woman named Peace Pilgrim. Do you know her? I, I don't. Or about her. She So she basically walked 25,000 miles around the U.S. and lived like a monk where like she only ate when people gave her food and she only slept 
somewhere if someone allowed her to. And she told these stories in this book that I think actually her friends ended up writing for her, where she would stay at someone's house and the there's a little daughter and the dad comes home and is super angry. She just like stands in front of the dad as he's going to get angry and all the anger dissolves because she's so peaceful and doesn't get mad at him. Yeah. Or like she met someone who started like hitting her and then she just stood there and he was like, "What? why aren't you fighting back? And then he became really peaceful. I don't know. So that was kind of what I was thinking about this morning is this like nonviolent communication and I feel like transcendence and nonviolence are hand in hand because the world is violent and stressful and, you know, to be, to go beyond that and to see the good in people when maybe it's not the first thing that you see is really challenging. I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> that is definitely, I mean, it's, it's how people carry themselves and how they present each other themselves in front of other people can be extremely powerful, especially during conflict and giving that space uh, for people to to react or not react, I guess, in some ways yeah. is, is pretty tricky. Yeah, like um, you're opening up the space between the hands almost by being more solid in yourself and being transcendent. Yeah, the transcendence card is is uh, is quite the one. Every, t every time I draw that, it's it tends to be more of a reflection because I don't think you're going to pull that card and be like, I'm transcendent today. Totally. We're done. We're done. But I, I do have one memory that resonates whenever I pull this card. And mm. it, it, it happened, I don't know, maybe seven years ago um, when I was really into yoga at, at the time. And I was sober at the time. I, I did relapse after that at one point. But I was extremely into yoga and living well and, and being connected to my family and, and what I was working on. And the yoga class that I went to, the teacher there, his name's Richard Grosen. He's, he's very much into pranayama. He's wrote two books about it. So lots of breathing exercises. So it's not just, you know, poses and asanas that he, he goes into breath work towards the end of the class. And during the Shavasana, where you lay down and be still, I had this incredible moment where <laughs> I hate to say it, but I felt like I was on drugs. And it was it was more powerful feeling of oneness than I ever achieved through all of um, the using that I'd ever done, and it, it was like really strange. And like in the moment, it just felt like I was at peace and everything was great and all this other you know all that good stuff. But that that it was it was pretty remarkable. And that that moment sat with me you know for that day for sure. But you know just reflecting back on it now. I think the biggest takeaway that I had was I don't need to consume something to get there. Mm. You know, that's, that's, and, and in fact, it's quite the opposite. You can't yeah. consume something to get there. <laughs> like you actually have to, you know, do the hard work mm. in order to let your body connect with whatever is out there in a way that, you know, those channels wouldn't necessarily be open if you were, you know, taking substances, I guess. They may yeah. appear open, but they wouldn't necessarily be open. How did that inform you when you relapsed? Did you carry that with you in some way or? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, for sure. That, that, that always sat as a memory. You know, relapses do happen. They're, they're not yeah. great. I don't encourage anyone to actively go take part in one. Um, but if they do happen, that's okay. They're, they tend to be learning experiences for the most part. Depending on the severity, they can, they can last a long time, though, and not yeah. necessarily be. be but recognizing that it's part of the experience and that you can move on from it. It's very important. 
And so back to your deck, I mean, how do you think this could support someone? What do you recommend? Because I think it is a really cool tool, even if you use it in a way that's like slightly outside of this, the way that you've created it. I think these cards are so packed with information, you know, like the (laughs) transcendence card, like it has a quote and then it has like these guides about almost like a little mindfulness meditation or a ritual, you could like light a candle and do this, you know, Mm -hmm. get witchy. Yeah. So the deck itself is is for anyone who really is exploring themselves and how they interact with the world and how they perceive the world, which sounds very, very general. And and in some ways it it is. It It was born out of recovery for me. But it is not necessarily specifically geared towards people who are in recovery or had addiction. And this was very, very intentional, by the way. So during the first early phases of getting over an addiction, there's, like I said, tons of resources out there to help you learn new things to, you know, very specific skills and tasks like avoidance and substitution and, you know, don't go here, don't go there, talk to this person. Typically, when people figure out how to stay away from the problem behavior, which is absolutely a necessary step, you also have to run towards something. You can't just run mm. away from something for personal growth. You have to you know, find something, find a new purpose, I guess, or maybe not even new, but rediscover a purpose that may be from, with, with, from within. And so this, this yeah. deck really hits that. Okay, so now what? <laughs> Right. Yeah. The it's now like, what? That is the, the hardest part, right? Because yeah. it's also this uncontrolled future of mm-hmm. you don't know what it's going to be. So now what is such yeah. a hard question to ask? It's a very, very hard question. And I think w- with people who go through, you know, trauma or any major problem, you know, like I can imagine I'm not in the military, but being in active war and then leaving from it or being in an abusive relationship and then getting out of that relationship. Um, or even just maybe an unsatisfactory marriage, you know, you, you create this hole, right? Because you, you're living this experience that was probably very intense at one point. And then you yeah. remove all that either by choice or just by moving, literally. And now, now you have this space. And so the question becomes, how do I fill this space? And some people are very driven and they know exactly what they want to do. Other people yeah. don't. Right. And then you're, I would say, more of a risk of falling back into it if you don't have something active for it. And is that but, why your coach recommended the project just yeah, to like make yeah. it? Okay. Exactly. It's like you got to pick something to work on. You got to fill, fill, that, fill that gap. Right. Yeah. And so I mentioned that I, you know, facilitate these meetings and I hear these, you know, nuggets of truth that come out over and over and over and over and over again. And so the the Weldon journey, what it does in effect is it 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 tries to take these nuggets and share them with other people. Yeah. Right? And what's interesting is that, you know, there's a lot of overlap and a lot of similarities, but there's a sense of like knowing things that you know, and then there's a sense of not knowing things, like things that you're unaware of. So what the the Weldon journey does is it it takes a look at the breath of all the things that it means to be well. And then it allows the space to dig deep into any one of those, right? So you may pick, and and like the, the more I like actually work on this deck, like they, they teach all this stuff in school. Like I have a kid who's 10 and she comes home with these same topics and ideas, right? So oh, in some cool. ways, when you pick these, you may be like, oh, I know all about this. But then the question is like, you ask yourself, do I? 
Like, what does it mean for me today? Mm. And so when you go through the journey and the way that it's designed is, you know, to pick a card every day for about a hundred days and it could take longer and that's totally fine. But as you go through it, something is going to resonate and you don't really know what's going to land the hardest. But as you pick each card, some will provide validation like, oh, I already do. That's great. You know, and with validation comes gratitude and gratitude is a very important thing to have to be happy and, and have a good life. But then you may stumble on one where you're like, oh, I need to work on that one. I need to give that some attention. And just going through the process of picking the card and reading it is it forcing you to think about it, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. How you carry it forward, it could be something immediate, right? Or it could be something that resonates. And, and this is the curious thing about going through this thing personally a few times. You mentioned like the subconscious, right? So the subconscious is very interesting part of the brain where things have to sit for a while, right? In order for them to be revealed. So with some of the cards that I picked, they may not hit the same day, but they may hit later and change Mm. the way that you behave. And I've I've got a good example of this one. And this, this actually happened last year. So, so one of the cards is a social, there's a, there's a social dimension. This is actually one of my weaknesses. That's one of the reasons I wanted to focus on social a lot. Um, but one of them was uh, schoolmates. So basically the idea was people that you, you know, went to school with in the past or even, even present. And when I pulled that card, I don't remember what day it was, but I was like, yeah, maybe I should reconnect with so-and-so and see what they're up to and. It was a fleeting thought, which I'm sure many of us go through quite some time. Like, oh, I want to connect with this old friend. Yeah. Well, I didn't really know what to do. And I didn't act on it that day. But about three days later, I was in LA and I posted a a picture on Instagram of the auto show. And a friend of mine from high school commented on it, who I hadn't spoken to in like a decade. Oh, wow. And my instinct was oh, I need to reconnect with this guy, right? And I had just actively thought about it. Mm. And so I immediately was like, hey, I'm, g- I'm going to be in LA in, in four weeks. Like, let's meet up. Oh, cool. I, I would have never suggested that or thought about it if I hadn't prompted myself to think about the value of reconnecting to old friends like two days prior. Yeah. But, but, but it had I been sitting. That. It had been sitting in my subconscious for like four days. Yeah. And then when when the outside like, you know, action came forth, it was so immediate for me to respond to it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't second guess, oh, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? Because I, I planted this seed of, oh, when it happens, I should be aware of it and act on it. Right. And and just to carry forward, I did see him. We did meet up. Oh, I hadn't cool. seen him in like 20 years. It was, was it wild. Fun? It was super fun. I got to meet his kids. He got to meet my kids. And we talked about old times. I think the last time I actually saw him was probably 20 years prior. It that's was so it was a, a, a big chunk of time. So that's yeah. where these that's where the the journey really has a lot of impact. You, you don't really know what it is, but like just bringing it to the foreground, all of these topics tends to to reveal itself, right? So this is where I have a hard time talking about this project. It's because like I don't really know what someone's impact is going to be from going through the journey because it's for them to discover it. 
And in some ways, that's the whole purpose of it. The purpose of Weldon Journey is to provide a process to people to explore. That, that's mm. what it is, right? I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, you're going to find transcendence. It's like, sure. you, you, you may. You may pull it one day. <laughs> you may <laughs> yeah. pull it and be like, what the hell is that? Maybe I need to focus on it. But there's some cards that definitely are, are more challenging than others mm -hmm. and others that are, are very basic. But, but they may be basic to one person, not the next, right? Well, it's like tarot, you know, like with tarot cards, you have this prescribed set of meetings and a way that you can use them, but then everyone's going to take their own thing from that. You know, I haven't met anyone who reads a tarot card the same way. So I think like thinking of them as like a prompt for intuition or like you said, just planting a seed for a future thing to happen is really cool. And I haven't really seen anything like this that's quite as researched. So I think it's really exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've definitely put in a lot of work into this project. I mean, for me personally, it's it's helped me grow as an individual, but it's also allowed me to explore things that I was interested in yeah. when I was younger, like product design and graphics and colors and words and writing. And, and you I, did all the watercolors yourself? Yeah. So those were painted back in January of last year. That's where I started. I, I, I am a big believer in the creative process where it's like, you don't really need to know what the end goal is. You just have to have a good process that will get you there. And so I knew I wanted color. I knew, I knew watercolors felt ephemeral or something like that. So I painted the nine circles first. Um, and then that slowly evolved into the, the design and the logo. And then it's the, the watercolors are throughout, right? So the deck itself is intended to be very visually appealing. It's supposed to look pretty and, and attractive. Well, it's got um, a tactility because you you use this cold press watercolor paper. So you get that like nice yeah. texture with the watercolor. So that's really great. Well, cool. And so where can people get these? I assume on you have a website. I do have a website. So it's called Weldom Journey. And Weldom stands for, the, it's the first two syllables of wellness dimensions. So it's intentionally supposed to be easy to remember. So you yeah. think wellness dimensions and you think well, and then dim, and then it combines it. So if you search for a Weldom journey, you find it. You can all, I also have the domain Weldom, but you can, you can find it online and you can buy it online right now. I don't have a, a lot of copies. For me, this is be exploring bringing something out into the world, which is totally new to me. Like yeah. I've never, I've never done it in a non-professional capacity. I have my job and I love my job. This is the other thing. Like I love my career, which we haven't talked about too much. Oh yeah. And, and I, and I plan to stick with that too. Like I'm not, not enjoying my, my professional career, but this has allowed me to try something um, new and different. So I have a full set of professional copies ready to buy and I'm looking for people to get it and try it out and provide feedback. I, I don't think that this project is a one and done. Yeah, I, I, I believe that the physical deck and its box is the first iteration of it. And it's going to evolve into something much greater. And this is where I'm taking a little bit of a risk, right? Where I, I see the most growth in people when they communicate with each other, whether it be in group meetings or not. And for those who haven't been in, in group therapy at all, the, the meetings can be hit or mess. They're not all great, right? But they, but they do provide a, 
an, an atmosphere of uh, vulnerability and trust and empathy that is hard to see in other places or to experience. Mm. So, you know, people who are in recovery are forced into these rooms, right? But it doesn't mean that these communal spaces shouldn't be accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. So having a space where you can be vulnerable and tell things to strangers in confidence can allow for significant understanding and growth in a way that you wouldn't necessarily get um, in other places. So I'm hoping that you know, with more people um, going through this journey, that I will have meetings that people can just join in and be like, how's it going? Did you learn anything? Tell me about a crazy experience because hearing other people and how they've made change allows other people to see perspectives that they, that may be blocked, honestly, like channels and avenues that are inaccessible for one reason or another. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I wanted to wrap up by talking about your windsurfing since it is such a part of like your your dolphin energy. I remember one time you told me your friend went from, I forget where it is in the East Bay, but all the way to Alcatraz. And you were going to maybe windsurf all the way across, but you didn't because it was like too late in the day or something. Yeah, there's multiple stories of me doing crossings in the Bay Area. So so I've, I kite surf. Um, okay, that's the, what it is. Okay. Yeah, so those who are unfamiliar, I have this large kite and a board. And the sports evolve over time. So when I started 19 years ago, all the equipment was very unsafe. And these God. days, you know, there's new uh, windsurfing devices, but the biggest one are foils. So you may be familiar with e-foils, but they're basically like hydrofoils that go under the water, which allow for traveling. So I've done many trips in the East Bay. So the San Francisco Bay Area is world-class wind sports. I mean, there's very few people, very few places on earth that have the topography uh, and the bathymetry, you know, the shape of the the, the land under the water. Mm. And so I've taken multiple trips from Berkeley all the way past Alcatraz to underneath the Golden Gate Bridge and back. And wow. it takes, I don't know, a couple hours or something like that. That's but these so these these journeys, these tours, their experiences in a in a loved themselves. And when you're out in the central bay, I've seen dolphins, I've seen I haven't seen whales, I've seen people see whales. But I've yeah, I've had friends go out and come back. I, I think the one that you're talking about is when I saw the Blue Angels, so they have the air oh, show there. Oh, yeah, that's maybe what it was, yeah. <laughs> they have the Blue Angels show. They they actually left. My friends, <laughs> I got to the beach, and they were about to take off. They were like, we're going to go see the Blue Angels. I'm like, okay, so that's like pretty far away. It's like, you know, straight line. It's it's six miles to past Alcatraz or something like that. Hmm. Anyway, I got geared up, and they, they, they went ahead of me, and I'm like, I'm going to go follow them. Well, I never really caught up to them, and I got past Alcatraz, and I didn't know what time the Blue Angels were going to come. But I, I had a feeling and it was it was chaotic. There's boats out there, there's Coast Guard, there's all these places you're not supposed to go. The tides are going crazy, the wind is going crazy. It's it's a pretty wild spot. Yeah. And all of a sudden the, the plants flew right over my head. And it was just like incredible place to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so I watched like 10 minutes of the show and and then went past Alcatraz and headed back home because the, the trip home uh <laughs> can be just as long, right? Well, right. Um, but, and but so, was, oh, go ahead. 
yeah, so it's incredible. I mean, I, for me, kite surfing is is more like sailing. It's exploring. It's it's going and communing with nature in a in a way that's pretty unique and and harnessing energy and and using that energy in a way that um, allows you to experience things that very very few people experience. Um, that. I mean, absolutely. Like that seems like the real appeal of it is because are you one of those people who like flies under the Golden Gate Bridge and like jumps and stuff? I definitely enjoy jumping. That's probably one of my favorite things. I I mentioned earlier that I did springboard diving uh, in college and and you can't really continue that sport uh, because it's, you know, hard to get access to. Jumping uh, with kite surfing was my transitional sport. And so, you know, busting 30 foot airs is something that I really enjoy doing and it just feels like you're flying. Um, It's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, you see those people and you're like, that must be so fun, but there's no way, (laughs) you know, for me anyway. (laughs) But um, so what is it about the bay that makes it so good? You said the shape of the, the bay is like a good shape for it. Yeah. So the, the golden gate where the golden gate bridge sits, it's a narrow point in the, the hills and the mountain range there. So there's a, it's a venturi in effect, right? So you have a large area that goes down to a choke point and then opens back up. That's, that's one part. The other part is we have the cold Pacific. And then in the summertime, we have the very, very warm Central Valley. Mm. So it's, it's not atypical to be 60 degrees in San Francisco and 100 degrees over the hill. And this large temperature differential is why we have fog in the Bay Area. But that fall, that that temperature differential combined with the the mountain topography creates incredible wind, and it's very very consistent, and predictable, and that's what, that's that's why the Bay Area just rocks. But yeah, Central Bay, I mean, just being out there and seeing the Berkeley Hills and seeing the Bay the Bay Bridge and the oh my gosh um, Alcatraz and the boats and the city and it's 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 a pretty pretty remarkable place to go sailing. Not for the faint of heart, but uh, if even if you aren't a water person, whenever if you do come to the Bay Area, I highly recommend just jumping on one of the commuter ferries because you can experience that same majesticness yeah. of, of the area and the surroundings just by, by getting on a boat and being comfortable in a warm jacket and <laughs> hot cocoa De- or whatever. Right. Definitely bring your warm jacket. Don't rely on the like tourist fleeces that they sell. <laughs> no, definitely not. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much. I will include links to everything in the, the show notes. Do you have anything coming up that you want to share or anything else? No, I'm just really excited. I, you know, this product for me has been three years in the making. Walden Journey is something I've committed a lot of time and energy into, and I'm very excited to bring it out into the world and, and meeting people who are on their own journey of, yeah. you know, living a better life. So I, I hope people check it out. And if you want to reach out to me, you can you know, find my contact info on the website. But I am more than willing to carry on a conversation. And, and if anyone out there, again, is, is struggling with addiction, there's help out there. You know, Go use the resources that are available. Well, thank you so much. This was a really great chat. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, follow, subscribe, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the side-wooing.